Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. So good to see you. Thank you so much for being here week two in our series Guardrails starting last weekend. Uh, let me just start off by saying this. Have you ever had somebody in your life that you became friends with, but if you could do it all over, you wish that you had never met that person before? Now, I know you're not supposed to admit that in church, but we've all had people like that in our life at one point or another. Or it's somebody you kind of wish your husband or wife had never met before because of the influence, or maybe your son or daughter, you kind of wish you could rewind the tape and say, maybe we just avoid that person altogether. Have you ever had somebody like that before? And what I'm talking about is today is that there's a relationship between folks we've met and our greatest regret. There is this relationship, there's this correlation between folks we've met and our greatest regret. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today because most of the time that those folks that we've met that are part of our greatest regret were friends or are friends in our life. And what we've been talking about uh, starting last week is guardrails, guardrails. And we all know what a, what a guardrail is. Essentially, guardrails are designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. Right? That's what they're there for, for medians to keep you out of oncoming traffic off of bridges around dangerous curves like on the video that you just saw, that rally racer. That, that, that guardrail hadn't been there, oh my goodness, that guy would have tumbled down the side of that mountain, probably lost his life, but it saved his life. That's what guardrails do. As a matter of fact, guardrails are there to do two things, to direct and protect you and I, to direct and protect our lives. And there's some philosophies or some kind of uh, understandings that we have collectively as a society about guardrails. One of them is that guardrails are always put in safety zones, not danger zones. In other words, there's a margin here. We want a couple of feet between where the guardrail is and the edge of the cliff or the edge of the, you know, the, the, edge of the bridge or the, the dangerous curve, especially when you think about your kids out there behind the wheel or your grandkids or your nieces and nephews or some other young drivers that you really care about. You want that little margin right there. You want that little protection that, that, uh, that is behind that guardrail. It's so important. The other thing about guardrails is that guardrails minimize damage. Guardrails minimize damage. And what I mean by that is that when you hit a guardrail, if you bump up against one, yes, you're going to have to go to the body shop. You're going to probably have to get your, your fender repainted. But it is minimal damage compared to what would have happened if you had driven off the bridge or driven into oncoming traffic or you had gone off the cliff. Minimal compared to that, right? And so, stands to reason, almost goes without me saying it, that our roadways are not the only place we need to establish guardrails in our life. We need them in almost every other area of life. And you think about your greatest regret in this life, or some of your greatest regrets, you may say, I've got more than one, Will. And you, if you had, if you go back in your mind and think about that greatest regret, if you had established, before that moment had happened, before those decisions were made, had established financial guardrails, maybe that 
worst decision wouldn't have happened. Or relational guardrails. Or spiritual guardrails. Professional guardrails. Moral guardrails. If they had been in place, you would have had something you would have bumped up against before you had gone off the cliff and made that decision that you wish like crazy you could go back and redo. Guardrails could have avoided that greatest regret. With that being true, consequently, it stands to reason that future regrets also could be avoided by us establishing good, solid guardrails now, today, right now. And so today, this is what we're talking about because it is so incredibly important to the success and the future of your life. But you need to know that we all have a problem. And the problem is that we live in a world, in a culture, that is rejecting of guardrails. Our culture says, no, you don't need guardrails. Don't, tell, don't let anybody tell you you need guardrails. You need to just live your life untethered, unfettered. You need to just do whatever you want, whenever you want, whatever makes you happy. You go do that. Well, the problem is that it causes a whole lot of people to drive off of cliffs. The same culture that says we reject guardrails will mock us and shame us for getting into the ditch and going off the edge morally, financially, relationally, and professionally. And people are crucified in the media all the time for making bad decisions in areas of their life where they were told by the same culture that is now criticizing them, you don't need guardrails. Yeah, there's an edge over there, there's a ledge, there's a cliff that you'll fall off of, but don't put any guardrails up. And the moment that they do, that there is this criticism. Do you see the contradiction that's happening in our world, in our culture? And it's high time for us to say, we're not going to let culture make this decision for us anymore. We're going to choose to say, you know what? There's some areas of our life that's just too important to leave to chance. It's too important to hope for the best that we don't go over the edge. But we're going to have to establish some guardrails. So today, what I'd like to do is talk to you about your friends, the people that you run with, the people that you play with, people that you even work with, and specifically, the folks that we've met that are a part of our greatest regret. The folks that we've met that are part of our greatest regret. Now, when I say that, I know some of you are thinking, that sounds pretty judgy. And didn't you just do a sermon a few weeks ago about not being like judgmental towards other people? You're right. So let me clarify, okay? This is not being judgmental. This is using good judgment. Let me explain the difference. Let me define the difference. Judgmental means that I am drawing a harsh or I'm trying, drawing a critical conclusion about you, right? I'm over here drawing this conclusion about you. Good judgment is when we draw conclusions about ourselves based on our past experience, our current circumstance, and our future hopes. Like, Past experience, where have you blown it? Where did you mess up? Where did you regret what you had done, said? Where have you like, made decisions you wish you could look back and you could rewind the tape and redo it? Current circumstances, what is going on in your life today? Like who, are, who or what are you responsible for right now in your life? Right? And that ought to be a part of your decision-making process. And then where am I going in the future? Hopes and dreams. Where does God want me to go in the future? Even better question. Where am I going? Based on my past experience, current circumstance, who and what am I responsible for right now, and where do I hope to go in the future? Like, 
asking a tough question, what is the wise thing for me? What, what's the wise thing for Will Lewis to do? What is the wise thing for, you put your name in, in the slot, for that, that guy, that girl to do? For me, what am I supposed to do? Based on that, what's the wise thing to do? And so basically, good judgment is on us. It's not on someone else. You see, uh, judgmental is on, it's us making a judgmental call about others. Good judgment is about us. It's about us saying, based on my past experiences, I really have no business hanging out with certain people in certain places. I've already proven I got no business going to certain places, like a club or a bar with those people doing these kinds of things because honestly, I almost always make a really boneheaded decision in that situation. I, my past is a proof of that. Like it is a precautionary tale to somebody to don't go that direction because that's a bad idea, right? That's what your past is there. If there's a pattern that you need to recognize. We talked about that last week in Ephesians 5, that there is this pattern to understand what the Lord's will is, understand how your life has been unfolding. It's so important to do that asking what is the wise thing. And maybe for you, if you're a single person today, and you look back and you say, honestly, my dating life has been a terrible tale of a lot of train wrecks, right? Relational train wrecks over and over. And the wise thing maybe for you to do, and we've had many people here at Brazos Fellowship do this, say for the next season of time, for the next three months, the next six months, the next year, sometimes people do this, I'm not going to date anybody. I'm just going to wait. I'm going to just get close to God, and I'm going to kind of try to reprogram my brain around what does a healthy, God-honoring relationship even look like? How is that? That is real different than what you've done in the past. And it may take some time to de-brainwash yourself to get new default settings in your mind about what does that look like, and how should I behave, and what should we be doing, and what should we not be doing, and it's so important. But it's asking the question, what is the wise thing for me to be doing right now, especially as it relates to how I connect with other people? Now, I want to shift gears a little bit and get you to think about when we were all kids, right? We were all kids and living with our parents. Didn't you have times with your parents where you thought, wait, they, they are way too like um, nervous about the people that I hang around. They're like paranoid. They're a little bit, you know, of... Uh, fanatical about who I spend time with. Didn't your mom and dad at times saying, there is no way you were spending a night over at that boy's house, over at that girl's house? No, no. The answer is no, you ain't doing that. Like if she wants to come over here, if he wants to come, that's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll supervise. But I don't feel good about you going over there. And you thought, oh my gosh, are you some kind of crazy person? Right? You've, this is so judgmental. I can't believe you are judging this per person this way. And what we didn't realize at the time is that our parents understood something that we didn't quite have our head wrapped around yet. And this is the same principle that Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians in the New Testament. And let me give you a little background here. When Paul was writing this first letter to the church at Corinth, he, he knew that he was writing to a group of people. The Corinthians, this Greek city, was well known as a culture that had no guardrails, like anything goes. There was temple prostitution going on. People were getting drunk all the time. There was absolutely no self-control being exercised in that city, and they reaped the consequences of it and suffered from it. 
And there were people that were now coming out of that lifestyle that were saying, I want to follow Jesus Christ. I'm receiving him as the Lord of my life. And they began this little church because of Paul's preaching in that town. And these people now were trying to pull out of a circle of friends, out of a community that they've lived in their whole life, and trying to do better, to follow God now. And it was hard. And just like normal people, they had some good days and they had some bad days. And they fell in and out of their consistency with God. So Paul gives them some guardrails for their relationships. And he says, here, let me give you some wisdom that I think could really help you. And here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Let's take a look at this together. If you would, let's read the highlighted words together. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, who you keep company with matters. Those people influence you more than you realize. Now, here's the interesting thing that I have noticed in my life, and I bet you've noticed it in yours. Now, many of us who were once under our parents and thought they were paranoid, that they were a little fanatical, they were a little judgmental, now we're parents, right? And you think about this principle all the time with your kids, constantly. You know why? Because you remember your friends, right? You remember the bad company that influenced you at times, and you look back and say, wow, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't made that decision. I'm, I just I can't help but imagine my life and how it would be different if that bad company hadn't been present. And because of that, you are active in your kids' lives. And, and, and we're blessed today to have um, an opportunity that our parents and grandparents never had, and that is we can stalk our children's friends on Facebook and social media. And by the looks of your face, you're already doing that. Good for you. You should. That's good judgment. Be involved. Know what's going on in their life. Know what's going on in their friend's life. That's important. And you may get pushback from your kids at times, and they'll say exactly to you what you want to say to your parents. You are fanatical. You're paranoid. You're a little judgmental. And you can say, no, actually, I'm not judgmental. I'm just using good judgment. Because now you know what your mama knew. You know what your daddy knew. That bad company corrupts good character. To put it another way, our friends determine the direction and quality of our lives. I'm just telling you, Scripture bears this out over and over. This will never stop being true. This will never go out of style. This will never stop being a principle that can absolutely change your life for the better when you leverage it that way. But it's always true. It's always true. Your friends will always determine the direction and the quality of your life at any given moment. It's just it's so, super true. And our friendships are so powerful. They're wonderful, and at the same time, they can be very dangerous. This is why that is true. So what I'd like to do is explain to you the progression that happens in any friendship. Actually, it happens in any relationship, whether it's just a casual friendship or it is a marriage, um, the most intimate type of a relationship. So let me, let me walk you through what happens in any friendship. Here it is. It's simply put that there, when we start a friendship, we become friends, and in that friendship, we begin to drop our guard. In other words, we get vulnerable and honest. When you get to know someone, 
you go have coffee with them, you're hanging out, guys, you're playing golf, you're hunting, whatever, there's going to be conversations, you'll start to go to a little bit deeper level. You start to open up a little bit. As a matter of fact, the health of a relationship and the depth of a relationship is directly correlated to how honest and how vulnerable you're willing to get, even your marriage, right? If you get the sense that the other person's not being honest with you, they're not wanting to be vulnerable, it's going to stop you. You probably won't go any further either, right? But the moment that we open ourselves up and we drop our guard, we crave acceptance from the other person, from each other. Like, you don't drop your guard and get honest and vulnerable and say, I don't care if they reject me. Nobody, nobody feels that way. Everybody wants to be accepted. You want somebody to say, yeah, I get that. I've felt that way before. I get it. I relate. And, and let me tell you my story. And then all of a sudden, the relationship feels like it's a little deeper. We, we know each other on a deeper level now. It's really important. But with that acceptance that we get from the other person, our desire for acceptance leaves us open to influence. In, in other words, when we drop our guard, get open, vulnerable with the other person, we crave acceptance. Along with the acceptance, we hand that other person inadvertently, or maybe we realize we're doing it, we're handing the other person influence over us, which can be a beautiful, powerful, amazing thing with the right people and can be a very dangerous thing with the wrong people. And it's so important that we understand this, this time, that many times when we open up and we give that influence over to someone else, you will see this in people's lives. They will do things that they have never done before. And sometimes the things that they're doing that they've never done before are not good things, right? As a matter of fact, I don't see a show of hands. Don't, you don't have to raise your hand at all. But just think about it for a minute. Um, when somebody has their first cigarette, when they have their first cigarette, is that with people or by themselves? How many people are behind a closed door somewhere all by themselves saying, I'm just going to have myself a cigarette right now, right? That almost never happens. It's with others. It's with friends. It's with people who already smoke, doesn't it? And it's interesting that research will tell you almost every addictive behavior that there is begins with other people present. It's, that's how powerful it is. It's amazing that it causes us to look around and say, look, I, I want to be accepted. I'm, this influence in my life is getting me to question some things and to try some things that I have never done before. Now think about it for a second. Your greatest regret, were you with an enemy or a friend? Because almost everybody will say, actually, they were a friend, or at least at the time they were a friend. I'm not sure they're still a friend, but they were at the time, Right? The very things that make our friendship marvelous also make them dangerous. This is something we see in Scripture over and over, and we're going to look at it some more in just a minute. But I want to share with you something really fascinating that um, has actually come out of some research from a neuroscientist by the name of Dr. Moran Cerf. And he has, for over a decade now, Dr. Cerf has studied the way in which we as human beings make decisions. And he would tell you that when two people are in each other's company, when they're in each other's presence, something fascinating happens to the way our brains function. 
This is a quote from an interview with him recently. He said this. He says, more, the more we study engagement, we see time and again that just being next to, a certain, to certain people actually aligns your brains with them. He says, your brain waves will mimic or almost be identical to that other person that you're spending time with. This means that people that you hang out with can actually have an impact on your engagement with reality beyond what you can explain. Check this out. And one of the effects is that you become alike. They begin and you begin to become alike. In another interview with him recently, uh, in the article, he, he was quoted as saying this. He says, if you want to maximize your happiness and minimize stress, you should surround yourself with people who embody the traits you hope to become. Over time, notice that, over time, you will naturally pick up on those desirable traits and behaviors. The most important decision is, he says, this is the most important decision, who you surround yourself with. Wow! Now, is this neuroscientist just being judgmental here? I mean, excuse me. Are you telling me who I can and can't spend time with? He's going, no, this is just good judgment. Interesting, isn't it? And what's really cool about this is that what he is reinforcing, what he is backing up, Scripture's been saying for over 3,000 years. King Solomon in the Old Testament, inspired by the Spirit of God, wrote these words in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, chapter 13, verse 20. He said this, and if you would, let's read these highlighted words together. He says, walk with the and become wise. Solomon essentially is saying wisdom, as it turns out, is contagious. <laughs> it's like it rubs off. And when you rub shoulders with people who are wise, it makes you wiser. So spend time with people who are wise. They're not perfect, but they make a lot of wise choices, especially when it comes to God. This is part of the reason, one of many reasons why we encourage you here at Bradman's Fellowship to get in a small group. Not because these are perfect people that got it all figured out, but because they're a group of people saying, we want to grow in our relationship with God, and a big part of that is to apply His wisdom to our life so that we become wiser. And what we've found, when people do that together in a community, we go further faster spiritually than we do just solo in it, reading a book, or just doing things all by ourselves. We need to do things together. This is why over and over in the New Testament, Jesus, Paul, etc., were told to one another, to love one another, to forgive one another, to bear with one another, to serve one another, to pray for one another. Like this thing of following Jesus, of being a, a follower of Jesus Christ, a Christian, is meant to be done in community with other people who are on this journey to wisdom and pursuing God, a relationship with God. Walk with the wise and you become wise. And here's the second part of that same verse. He says, for a companion who you keep company with, right? You see that? Companion of fools suffers harm. So let's define what is a biblical fool from its original Hebrew meaning. A fool knows what's right but doesn't care. A fool literally is someone who knows better but they will not do better. In other words, it's somebody saying, I know if I drink this much, it's going to destroy my body, but I don't care. 
I know if I keep acting like this, it's probably going to destroy my marriage, but honestly, I just don't care. I, I know if I keep spending like this, I keep being careless and irresponsible with my finances, it's going to come back to haunt me. It's going to wreck my finances, wreck my family, but I don't care, right? It's that kind of person. And what Solomon, I want you to see what Solomon is not saying. What he's not saying is that a companion of fools becomes a fool. He says, no, that happens, but it's worse than that. The companion of fools suffers harm. That <laughs> there, there is a consequence coming. There's a ticking time bomb that's about to go off. This person, because of their foolish decisions, there is a consequence, there's a repercussion that's coming. And when that bomb goes off, that shrapnel is going to hit you too. And it's going to hurt real bad. And you're going to suffer because of their decisions. So just keep that in mind, who you pull close to you. Who is it that's speaking into your life, that's influencing you? Who is your companion? Who are those people who you would say are a part of your company, your small group of life, your friend group? Who are those people? And, and be careful how you let them influence you. Because I know the response, some of you may be thinking, well, Pastor Will, man, I, know, I hang out with people like that, but I don't make the decisions they do. I don't act like they do. You know what? King Solomon, the Apostle Paul, and neuroscience would say, it's just a matter of time. You give enough time, it will become harder and harder and harder for you to say no and to resist the temptation to act just like them. Be careful. Be careful. Who is it that's in that tight, influencing circle in your life? And what are they saying and what are they doing? And this is so incredibly important. And, and look at that circle and say, because those friends that are in your life that are not looking out, they're not being careful with them. They won't be careful with your life either. That's, that's the truth. They're, they're not careful with their life. They're not going to be careful with yours. In other words, if they are, it's like totally fine with them to be dishonest and to cheat, they're going to feel better if you're dishonest and you cheat too. If they're irresponsible with their finances, they're not going to be responsible for yours. If they are um, destructive in the way that they treat their marriage, they're not going to look out for yours. If they are irresponsible with the way they treat their bodies, they're not going to show respect all of a sudden for yours. It's just not how it works. You see, friends can be dangerous, and danger needs a guardrail. That's what I want you to see today. Friends can be dangerous. They influence us. As a matter of fact, Jesus talks about this in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 39. He gives us this beautiful illustration. Here's what he says. Jesus says the following illustration, can one blind person, let's say it together, one blind person lead another? He uses this, this symbol of blindness to say this is a fool. This is somebody who kind of acts like they can see, but they don't look to the future and see the connection between decisions made today and the future that's coming. They don't look at, what did God have to say, and I'm going to make decisions in light of that. They are walking through life, meandering through life, acting like they know what they're talking about, but they don't. 
Look at the people who are making decisions for their life that is not based on God's principles, not based on his truth, that don't have a relationship or don't respect or, or follow that relationship. He says, watch out for those kinds of people. He says, he goes on to say, won't they both fall into a ditch? That's right. If you have somebody who's foolish like that and they're leading, they're influencing your life, they're the ones that are helping to guide your life, won't you fall into a ditch? Hey, if there's a ditch that has a steep angle to it, it's a soft shoulder, shoulder it's a, there's a cliff there, what do we often put in our roadways to protect us from those kinds of curves? We put, yeah, that's right, don't be afraid, I've, I've given it to you, this, a guardrail, right? Jesus is basically saying, you follow these kind of people, you're going to fall into a ditch. This was back before there were even roadways or guardrails. Like, there's no guardrail in their life because they're blind to it. They won't listen to it. And those kinds of people that you uh, are vulnerable with, you're honest with, you, get, you want acceptance from, and they wind up influencing your life, there is this interesting dynamic that will begin to happen. They actually will influence your life like a teacher does a student. He uses this symbolism. He says, students are not greater than their teacher. But the student who is fully trained, enough time goes by. It's just a matter of time, in other words. Fully trained will become, let's say it together, will become like the teacher. Isn't that exactly what neuroscience is finding out today? You become like those who hang around you and influence you. This doesn't mean that those in your life who are a bad influence, that you should completely cut them off. And guardrail doesn't mean no access. Guardrail simply means I'm going to limit the access of this person and limit their influence in my life. Or I'm going to limit this person's influence in my child's life. Did you know that you don't have to say yes to every person who wants to have time with your child? You can say, no, we're busy that day. What are we doing? I don't know. We'll figure it out, but we're busy. <laughs> I'm just telling you, that has happened at the Lewis household. I'm just telling you, we love everybody, but we don't let everybody have access to our kids. This is so important. And we can, we can be, still be friends and show love and kindness. It doesn't, doesn't have to feel like judgmentalness. It's using good judgment. So when should you use a guardrail? I'm going to give you some kind of broad sweeping concepts here, but I want you to get more into the nitty gritty in your own life. And maybe you should have a discussion with your spouse or with a friend or somebody today about where you need to set these guardrails in your own friendships. Where do you need a guardrail? Here's the first one. When you feel the pressure from others to compromise, something you know you shouldn't be doing, you know this doesn't feel right. This is not what God wants. I need, to, I need to put a guard. I need to stop this. But when I'm with certain people, it's just so easy. It's like they just, we just, this is what we wind up doing. Be careful. Put a guardrail there. Make it where it's really difficult. And I want to just share with you, if you want to get the most mileage out of guardrails in your life, share them with somebody who is wise that will help you to be accountable for them. You're asking for the accountability. Hey, I'm about to go see this person. Will you ask me in a couple of hours after I get home, how did I do? If I know somebody's going to ask me, I'm a lot more mindful of the guardrail. If I know there's no accountability, no big deal. If I blow it, nobody's going to even know. And you're a lot more apt to drive off the cliff. And, and it's so important to ask the question. So here's the next one. When you tell yourself, oh, I'll just go, but I won't participate. 
right. How many people have ended a night of regret thinking that? Oh, no, no I'm just going to go. I'm not going to participate. I'll be, I'm like, I'll, I'll be able to not get involved and not be a part. Yeah. Be careful with that. Be so careful. Here's the last one. When your friend group, when your friend group is not moving in the direction God wants your life to be moving, either they're moving in the opposite direction of where you know God wants you to go, or they're just stagnant and they're not moving anywhere. And you know God wants you to begin to move closer to Him. Maybe it's time, like high time for you to begin to rotate in some new friends, okay? <laughs> Begin to have some wise friends. Make time for, be intentional about this. It doesn't mean you cut off these other friends and never speak to them and, and act like that. Not, not at all, but you just limit their influence in your life. Put a guardrail there. I'm only going to do so much. So incredibly important. And the reason we need, it's so critical that we be doing this, we start doing this, start teaching your kids to do this, because your friends determine the direction and quality of your life. It will never stop being true. Never. And for some of you, you have woken up after some really rough nights of regret, even in the last few months, maybe in the last few years, and say, I don't even like this guy or this girl I'm becoming. I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said those things. I can't believe how did I do, how did I get here? How did this happen? And the answer to all those questions is the people you're being influenced by, the people who are your company. Be careful who you hang out with. Here's the application prayer. I'm asking you to pray with me today. It's simply saying, Jesus, help me to establish guardrails in my friendships. Give me the courage to protect those I care about and myself from the ditch of suffering harm. In other words, to put the guardrail in those areas of my life where I limit the influence and access of certain people. Doesn't mean I stop loving them. Doesn't mean I stop being friends with them. It just means I'm going to limit their access. And that can mean different things for different people based on your past experiences, your current circumstance, who and what are you responsible for right now, and where are you going? Where is God taking you in the future? What's the wise thing for you to be doing right now? What's the wise thing to be doing? This question of wisdom is always the template for how to make good decisions in the New Testament of the Bible. Wisdom. What's the wise thing? God wants us to be wise. And the best way to do that is to be around people who are wise. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.